Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Rock Harbor Christian Fellowship. If you would like more information about today's sermon or more information about the church, we encourage you to visit us at www.rockharborcf.com. Here is last Sunday's sermon. Well, Lord, we, uh, we do appreciate worship, and we want to continue in a spirit of worship right now, Lord. As we open your word, we want to ask, Lord, that we would just continue just to give our full attention to you. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, because we don't want to miss anything from our shepherd this morning. So, Father, in Jesus' name, send the Holy Spirit to fill your church, to open our hearts to all that you want us to receive. But above all, Lord, to put it into action, to give us the courage, Lord, to take what we've learned and to apply it so that you may be glorified, so that your church may be built up and encouraged. We do indeed pray, Lord, that you would transform us today, transform our hearts and our minds, and conform us into the image of Christ. We thank you so very much for this time. We give it to you, asking your blessing in it, asking also, Lord, that it would bless your heart as well. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. When I graduated from seminary, I remember I um, took some time off, or just took a day, I just went down to the beach and just was thinking about my next move, my next steps. You know, I'd spent a lot of time in school. And so when I finished, I remember sitting there, sitting on the beach there in Santa Monica, and I just asking myself the question, well, what now? I had achieved this goal. I had... Uh, come to the end of this chapter? And the answer wasn't very far behind. The answer was very simple. It's right there. It said, well, put it to use. Get to work. You know, the truth is, for the Christian, there is no distinction between doctrine and practical application. The truth that we know in our heads must be applied to our hearts and our lives. This is often referred to as orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Now, orthodoxy you've probably heard of. Orthodox or orthodoxy just simply means right thinking, correct thinking. When we are orthodox in our thinking, for example, about Christ, we are thinking correctly about Christ as God's word has revealed it to us. That's what orthodoxy means. Orthodoxy is just simply right thinking. Orthopraxy however, means right living. Right living. That is, when we know something to be true, we live it out. There is no distinction between orthodoxy and orthopraxy for the Christian. And Paul knows this. And so you'll see a familiar pattern in Paul's letters. If you go to many of his letters, whether it be in Romans or Ephesians, or in Colossians, you'll notice that there's often a division in his letters. This division being that the front, front half is often loaded with doctrine, heavy doctrinal content. But then the second half is often loaded with practical application. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Here's the truth. Here's how you live it out. 
Well, we've come to that place here in Romans. Today, as we embark on Romans chapter 12, Paul's done the hard work of revealing to us the gospel, the good news. The good news that we, all of us, estranged from God because of sin, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, have now been given a provision for sin in Christ. And by expressing faith in Christ, we can have salvation unto eternal life. But knowing that truth and living it out, well, that's something else. And so today, we embark on that. How do we live this out? So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Yesterday we covered a lot of ground. Today we're just going to be covering a couple of scriptures. No less important. But Romans chapter 12, we're going to be reading verses 1 and 2 today. Verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles open to Romans 12, starting at verse 1, let's read this together. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." So starting in chapter 12, we see Paul here turn from the doctrine of the gospel to the duty to which it calls us. And here, we are called or exhorted to live lives that reflect God's grace and mercy. Notice what he says here in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, any time in scripture you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself a question. What is the therefore, therefore? <laughs> what is the therefore, therefore? This means that Paul is now turning to a form of application. In other words, consequently, as a result, this, because of this, now this. In other words, you've learned this doctrine now, therefore, what are you to do with it? So he says, I appeal to you, I exhort you, therefore, by the mercies of God. You know, much of what we saw before dealt with this notion or idea of mercy and God's mercy upon us. And this is a very important point. When we understand the mercy and the grace of God, it should move us in a certain direction. It should move us to a desire to live out what God has called us to do. When we understand the depth of God's grace and mercy, it should move us to a place where we even say, Lord, I am yours. What will you have me do? Notice what Paul said back in earlier in chapter 9. We just finished this last week in Romans 9. I'm sorry, in Romans 11, 29 through 32, Paul says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, 
they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Mercy. Not getting what we do deserve. God has had tremendous mercy on us. And so how do we respond to that? Well, that's what, in many ways, we're turning to. He says, by the mercies of God, he is exhorting us, saying, look, it's not just mercy, but the mercies, the multiple mercies that God has revealed to us and shown us in Christ. How do we respond to that? What are we to do? How do we practically apply what we have learned now as God has revealed his tremendous mercy to us? What is our practical response and how do we live this out? Well, God's mercy calls us to a couple of things. First, God's mercy calls us to offer ourselves to God's service. To offer ourselves to God's service. Notice what he says here again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. To offer ourselves to God's service. Now, this idea of living sacrifice is very important. Whereas in the past, sacrifices were made in order to cover our sin. But that has been taken care of. Our sin has been taken away in Christ once and for all. He was presented once and for all as the final sacrifice for sin. And so we are called to be living sacrifices. In other words, let me put it like this. God does not call us to die for him. God does not call us to die for him. God calls us to live for him daily by dying to ourselves. God does not call us to die for him. God calls us to live for him daily by dying to ourselves. Do you understand? That is a living sacrifice where our lives reflect a desire to honor glorify God, to lift him up through the way we live. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Notice what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To walk in a manner. What does it mean to walk in a manner? In other words, let your life reflect this truth. Live in this way. That our manner of life, how we live, should reflect certain characteristics. And what is this manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called? Well, we have been called to do it with all humility... Humility is a very important characteristic, one of which I'm going to speak of more next week, so I will not belabor it here. But with all humility and gentleness, gentleness, that is something our world could use a little more of, is gentleness. With patience, patience, long-suffering. You know, I like the word patience, but I like the word long-suffering a lot more because it really brings out the meaning of it. 
And being a person who lived in Los Angeles for many years, plus 35 plus years, when you drive on any of its freeways, you learn the meaning of patience. <laughs> patience. I don't know if you quite understand that up here. You guys say, oh, there's heavy traffic today. I try to laugh and I go, you have no idea. <laughs> patience. Bearing with one another in love. Love being that overarching characteristic that should define everything we do and who we are. Peter puts it like this in his letter, 1 Peter 2, 9-12. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of, against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, the day when Jesus returns. God's mercy calls us to offer ourselves to God's service. So this idea of notion as a living sacrifice is not that we die for God, but that we live for him daily by dying to ourselves. That we learn what it means to walk in a manner worthy to this life that he has called us. A people who demonstrate certain characteristics in our life, not as an attempt to try and puff ourselves up or an attempt to fool people or attempt to just say, this is my outside face, but inside I'm somebody else. No, but that as a person, who we are demonstrates these kinds of characteristics. That who we are in the dark is the very same person as who we are in the light. So we offer ourselves to God's service. We ask the simple question, God, how can I serve you? What would you have me do this day? God's mercy calls us to offer ourselves to God's service, but it also calls us to offer ourselves with the right mindset. With the right mindset. Again, in verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This term spiritual worship, some of your translations might say your reasonable worship. Your reasonable worship. I like that term because that's a more direct translation of the word that is used there, logikos, in the original language. And what that really means is that it has to do with a sense of reasonableness, thoughtfulness. In other words, that we approach it in almost a meditative, introspective fashion. And the reason that is so important is that when we approach service unto God, that we approach it in a way that is thoughtful, intelligent, and meaningful, and not in a rote manner. We know what it means to fall into a situation where things just become rote. They just become mechanical, right? That can happen to any and all of us. Have you ever done something long enough where you just become so good at it that you can do it without thinking? All right? When I do laundry at home, and I'm folding laundry, I'm usually thinking about other things. I'm not thinking about this fold, this fold. No, I'm not doing that. 
I've been doing it long enough where I can just fold it, and I'm, my head's somewhere else. You know, the thing is, we can apply worship. We can ap- apply ourselves to worship in that manner, too. Where we can just approach worship in almost a rote, mechanical manner. We come in, we worship, we, do, we go through all this, but our heads are somewhere else. Oh, Lord, I need to pick up canned peas from the store today. See, that's not thoughtful worship. That the, you know, so our heads are somewhere else. And so this idea of notioning, of off presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, which is your reasonable worship, lies in this notion or idea that we're thinking through it, that we understand what God is calling us to, and we're giving ourselves fully to it. We're present in the moment. We're not going through the rote mechanics of what it means to worship God or give ourselves to Him. I think any of us in a relationship, you've been married long enough, you can know when things are just kind of, you know, if you say, I'm going to have a date night with my wife or something like that, and you go out and your head's somewhere else. Or you're, you're like, where do you want to sit? Well, let's sit over here because I can see the game right there on that TV screen right there. It's <laughs> some date night. Thank you, honey. See, we don't want to approach God in that way either. God does not desire that we approach him like that. He desires that we are present in the moment with him. That our hearts are there, engaged in worship. And it's not just worship here, but it's worship in anything we do. When we fully understand God's grace and mercy in our lives, what is the proper response? Well, it's thoughtful worship. It is a thoughtful and willing service that becomes an act of worship that magnifies and glorifies God. Notice what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? What is he saying there? He's saying, you're the salt of the earth. But if you've lost any sense of the ability to be salty toward others around you, then what's the point? It is no longer good for anything except what? To be thrown out and trampled under the people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Why would you do that? Why would you light a lamp and then put a basket on top of it? What's the point? But you do what? You put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not be ashamed of who you are. Do not be ashamed of the light that is in you in Christ. Do not hide it. It is on display, and it is not on display for people to look and go, wow, what a good person you are. No, it is on display that others may see it and go, what's going on with that person? What is going on there? That God may be glorified. That he may shine in and through us. This is what mercy calls us to. It calls us to be a people who live in this fashion, that we do not hide our lights. That we are not ashamed of any way of who we are and what we're about. So God's mercy calls us to offer ourselves to his service and to offer ourselves with the right mindset, to do it in a thoughtful, intelligent, and reasonable manner. 
And this leads us to a commitment to transformation. You see, when this happens, that we find ourselves in a place where transformation begins to occur in our lives. Notice what he says here in verse 2. He says, but, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So how can we engage in spiritual, or I'm sorry, spiritual reasonable worship? Well, we do not be conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Look, a key to grasping and understanding transformation is found in understanding worship. It's found in understanding worship. You know, worship is more than what we do on Sunday morning. As important as that is. When Phil and his team, when they lead us in worship, that's a very important part of our worship service. An extremely important part. But it's only a part of what we do. What we're doing right now is worship. What you will do later when this is done, when I finally stop talking and you guys go out, when you engage with other people in fellowship, that is worship. When you get in your car and you're on the word, on the road, worship. When you're at the grocery store, the gas station, worship. You, you following me here? Look, worship is how we live our lives every single day. Worship is how we live our lives. Worship is not just what we do on Sunday mornings. Worship is how we live our lives every single day. And we worship God, we worship Him, when we live out our faith in daily service to the Lord. This has a transformation, it has an impact on our lives because it begins to be that pattern in our lives that begins to impact and change the way we think, the way we see the world around us, and our hearts for God and for other people. And so we, how do we put ourselves on the path to transformation? Well, we put ourselves on the path to transformation. First, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. When we do not let the world dictate our values and our priorities. All right? I like how J.B. Phillips put it in his translation, in his paraphrase. J.B. Phillips put it like this. He says, do not let the world press you into its mold. Do not let this world press you into its mold. That was his translation of it. I think it's great because it captures perfectly, I think, what Paul's trying to say here. Do not let the world be the one that shapes you. Do not let this world and its values shape your thinking, your values, or anything else. You let the word of God and the spirit of the living God and Jesus determine those things. We put ourselves in the path to transformation when we do not let this world dictate our values and our priorities. Look, values are changing quicker than I can, you know, do a load of wash these days. Seriously. It used to be that kind of values would shift in every generation, that generational gap, right? There'd be, a, you know, this you know, generational gap where the values of the next generation were subtly different what are you know more progressive maybe than the previous generation or more conservative wherever direction they were going now it seems like every news cycle brings a new value it's shifting that rapidly we need to be careful not to allow those shifts to be the where we place our priorities or determine our values 
And it's also important to remember in thinking of this that the simple truth of the matter is we are in a spiritual matter. Remember, what we're dealing with here is spiritual. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, Paul says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Remember that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual battle we're fighting. And I want you to understand something. You don't win spiritual battles using carnal weapons. You do not win spiritual battles using carnal weapons. You win spiritual battles using spiritual weapons. And what is the primary spiritual weapon? Prayer, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. So remember that. We are in a spiritual battle. We do not win spiritual battles using carnal methods. And notice what he says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, in terms of who should we be in terms of this transformational life. He says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Remember that walking, how we live. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greed, and to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through, de through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Transform your mind. If you transform your mind, then your body will follow. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we put ourselves on the path to spiritual transformation when we do not let this world dictate our priorities and our values. Recognize the spiritual warfare we are in. Walk in a manner worthy of Christ. And secondly, we put ourselves in the path of transformation when we do seek to be renewed daily by God's Word and the Holy Spirit. We do seek to be renewed daily by God's Word and the Holy Spirit. Look, us preachers are broken records. I know that. Because we say certain things over and over and over again. But prayer life, it's in that spirit of the living God that begins to transform us. Do you, look, have you ever been to Barnes & Noble and looked, I purposely went, you know, the, gone to like the self-help section? Have you ever been there? All right, the self-help section, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, that kind of stuff. You know, I love me and you love me too, you know, that kind of thing. I remember once just going there to Barnes & Noble. It, this was one down in Marina Del Rey when I lived down there, and I just went to the self-help section. I noticed, I said, here's the Bibles, it takes up a couple of rows. And here's the self-help section. It took up the rest of the aisle. And I started counting. One, two, three, four. I got to like 257 or something like that, and I gave up. Forget it. I quit. I mean, 
there's more self-help books out there than you can shake a stick at. It's crazy. But you know what? We're not going to be spiritually transformed by carnal methods. No. No, 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 no. We're going to be spiritually transformed by spiritual methods, by the Spirit of the living God. And so we need to seek to be renewed daily by God's Word because it's God's Word that has the power. God's Word is powerful and effective. Remember that. It is powerful and effective. It cuts right through everything down to the bone. It gets to the heart of the matter. <clears throat> I like what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. He says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How are we transformed how are we renewed daily? When we get into the Word, when we allow the Spirit to transform us, to, re, to remove from us all the obstacles that would keep us from hearing His voice and seeing Him move in our lives. And here's what happens. As we are transformed into the image of Christ, we come to a greater understanding and commitment to God's will. He says here, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind because in the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Look, on a larger scale, do you know what the will of God is? The will of God for you is the same as the will of God for me. It's the same for all of us. God's will for all of us is that we are transformed into the image of Christ. All of us. That we are transformed into the image of Christ. Now, specifically, God may have an individual will for you that speaks of something else regarding your career or some, something of that nature. But on a general level, all of us, God's will and desire is that we are transformed into the image of Christ. That we come, are conformed unto the image of his son. And when we do this, when we are transformed, when we are better able to discern God's will in our lives, to hear his voice, to know that sense. You know, it's funny, I was, it's amazing how this happens. I was reading in my daily bread. Maybe some of you read daily bread. I was reading it this morning. Just great. And in that devotion, the daily bread, you know, was about this guy who needed a job and he was interviewing for a job, but he just sensed, this is not the right job for me. I can't take this. How do you discern that? when the Spirit is directing your steps, when the Word of God is forming your values. That's how you begin to hear better the voice of God, uncluttered by the noise of the world around us. But the truth is, we're going to have to make these things day by day, 
You know, I always love what uh, Fred Craddock said. Fred Craddock was um, a homiletics professor and uh, preacher. <clears throat> I had to read a number of his books when I was taking homiletics in seminary. <clears throat> and in an address to ministers, he kind of caught the practical implications of what it means to allow ourselves to be transformed day by day. He said, To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table and saying to the Lord, here it is, Lord, I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that God sends us right back to the bank. And he has us cash in that $1,000 bills, $1,000 bill for rolls of quarters. And then we go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listening to the neighbor kid's troubles rather than saying, I don't have time for you. Going to a committee meeting that you don't really want to go to. Giving a cup of cold water to a thirsty person or visiting somebody who needs help in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all these little acts of love, 25 and 50 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's much harder to live the Christian life little by little, day by day, over the long haul. So what is God calling you to give 25 cents or 50 cents to today? This is where the transformation happens. Look, I want you to understand something. There is no little thing with God. These little things, these little decisions that we make all add up to something much bigger. And they all have a transformational impact on our lives. Anybody who's gone down the road, gone down the wrong road, usually when they look back and wonder, how in the, how in the world did I get here? It's usually a culmination of a lot of little decisions made over time that have led them to this place. So make no mistake, the little choices that you make for God today have tremendous impact on what happens next week. God's mercy transforms us into a people to shine as a light for him that we may glorify him and serve and build up his church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you so very much for your word, which does have a transforming impact on our lives. Father, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our every step, that in hearing your word and reading your word, Lord, that the Spirit would open up avenues of application for us, revealing to us ways in which this needs to change and transform our lives. And Lord, we open our hearts to you. We give ourselves to you, Lord. Where are those areas of our hearts, Lord, that we're holding tight to? Help us, Lord, to let them go and give them to you, trusting you with every aspect of our lives. And help us, Lord, to be a people who don't hide our light, but rather let it, put it on a stand, and let it shine that it may give glory to you and that it may also bless and build up your people. But, Lord, we cannot do these things without the Spirit. So we pray and ask that you would send the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, to fill your people to empower us to this work which only you can do. And we just give these things to you, Lord. And we thank you for them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.